Welcome to Protect What's Yours, a podcast from Marcelino and Tyson, providing timely insight into legal issues for your personal and professional needs. Join us for in-depth discussions inside our practice areas of family law, business and employment, ERISA disability, civil litigation, bankruptcy, and more. At Marcelino and Tyson, we're focused on protecting the interests of our clients and providing the outcomes they deserve. It's time to take the fear and uncertainty out of your legal situation. Hi, I'm attorney Brian Tyson, one of the founding partners of Marcelino and Tyson Law Firm. And I'd like to welcome you to our podcast called Protect What's Yours. And today we have a mock consultation for bankruptcy law with one of our attorneys, Danielle Wall. All the scenarios here are made up, but the information here we thought might be of interest to someone, not only to think about situations or issues if they're considering bankruptcy, but also to see what a consultation with our firm is like. We hope you enjoy this information and tune back in for new episodes. Hi, Sarah. I'm Danielle. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So I've looked at your paperwork already that you filled out. And before we kind of get into that, can you give me some information on what brings you here today, why you decided to come in to talk to us and kind of the background on, you know, how you got to where you are? Yeah. So got a lot, um, lot going on. So I recently separated about two years ago. We've been finalized about a year that we've been divorced. I'm a single mom. I've got a son that I have primary custody of, 70-30. And I just find myself, I have a lot of credit cards, not really sure what to do, a lot of debt. And I recently, I got a a lawsuit sent to me. So that kind of scared me a little bit about, you know, a credit card that I have. And I'm just not really sure what the best option for me to do, what the best options are and how I should go forward. Okay. That makes sense. I did, in looking at one of the questionnaires that you completed, I noticed that that your divorce was finalized in 2018 and you wrote that one of the struggles was going from two incomes down to one. And mm-hmm. so I'm gathering that kind of when that split, you've been churning water since then trying to dig yourself out of a hole and mm-hmm. haven't really been able to do that. Yeah. It seems like I just, there's always a credit card bill. There's something coming up and I just can't really, I can't really get ahead as hard as I try. Okay. And I've looked at the paperwork you brought from the lawsuit that you were served, and it looks like that's by Canadian Express is suing you for a debt that you've got. Yes. Have you spoken to an attorney about that lawsuit at all? I have not. You know, I was getting tons and tons of phone calls and I was just kind of ignoring everything, hoping it would get better. And I just kind of tried to hide from it all. And then I got this lawsuit in the mail. So that scared me a little bit. So here I am. Okay. So No problem. We'll go ahead. And what I want to do is I'll walk through the questionnaire so I can make sure I'm giving you the best advice possible and making sure that I understand along the way. And so after that, I will talk to you about what your options are, what I believe your options are. I'll let you ask me any questions that you still have. And then I'm going to send you out with a packet of information that you can read and digest at your leisure. So if I take a look at the questionnaire the one that has, the one that took you a long time to do, has all the little boxes on it. Mm -hmm. Lots of questions. It does have lots of questions. I noticed that there's a few that you didn't answer uh, that you circled. And so I wanted to talk to you about those just to make sure that I understand exactly what's going on. We don't really have to discuss any of the no answers, but we'll discuss the yeses and the unanswered ones. So I see that you circled the question that says, do you have anything that really belongs to someone else? Yeah, that question kind of confused me a little bit. If I have anything that belongs to someone else, my husband and I separated, so I still have some of his stuff at my house, technically. Uh, I just wasn't really sure what to say for that one. Okay, well, so that answer would be yes, and I'll make a note. What I'll tell you is that a lot of people get afraid that if they file bankruptcy, that somebody's going to come search through your house and look at everything you own and what risk does that put the things that I don't own at. So if whatever you have of your husband's, we would disclose that on the petition if you still have that stuff at that time, because that way, one, nobody's going to come through your house. But two, if somehow there's a report of somebody saying, I drove by and I saw, let's say your husband's, your ex-husband's tool chest, 
we don't want somebody to say, well, why didn't you disclose that? We'll say, no, she did. It's her, it's her ex-husband's. That way there's no red flags. You can in this process if you want to, and you've, you're holding it for him because he's moving or for whatever reason, you can give that back. Just keep me informed of all of that. And as long as you disclose everything to me, then okay. I can make sure that you're protected as much as possible. Okay. Okay. So I also noticed that you had checked yes for number 11, which says, have you made any large purchases in the last 120 days? Yeah. I purchased a, a new bike for about $400 and I, I feel really like silly about that. I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of money and here I go making this kind of unnecessary purchase. So I don't know if I messed up doing that or if I shouldn't have. You're fine. Don't okay. worry about it. You need to have some recreation. Everybody knows that you need to have recreation. It's a good way to stay fit. Nobody's going to begrudge you a $400 purchase. One of the things that I will advise you is that if you determine at the end of this that bankruptcy is the option you want to pursue, mm -hmm. before you make any large purchases, and I would say a large purchase is $500 or more. Okay. Don't make multiple $400 purchases, gotcha. but keep your level about $500. Before you make any of those sort of large purchases, mm -hmm. let us know, particularly if it's something that is not necessary. Mm -hmm. So if you have to get your son braces, yeah. that, whatever, that's fine. If you, your son really wants to go on the school trip to Disney World, give me a call before you do that just so I can make sure that we're making everything okay. Okay. So the next one that I have, I have that you circled number 15, which says, have you entered into any kind of forbearance agreement regarding overdue payments? So I was considering like a debt consolidation for my credit cards. I'm not sure that's the best best option or not. I talked to some companies about that and I, it just seemed a little seemed a little kind of shady to me. So I've held off on that. Okay, so you've not actually entered into any agreement yet. You've you've been considering that. I've been considering it. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to check no and then I'll make a note and we'll talk about the options for debt consolidation okay. at the end because those are options that people have and I want you to know what that might look like for you. I also see that Number 18 says, are you required to pay any debts under a separation agreement or divorce decree? And you've checked yes for that one. Yeah. So in our, uh, my, my ex-husband, our consent order, I agreed to pay any debts that were just listed in my name. Okay. So you didn't have to pay anything that was in a joint name or anything that was in his name? No. He took all of those? Yes. Okay. Did you have any debts that were joint that he agreed to pay? No. Okay. All right. Will you... Get me a copy of that consent order sometime soon. There's a list of documents that we'll review that you need to provide. It includes separation agreements, divorce decrees. Just make a mental note that we'll need that before we file because I want to make sure that we disclose everything accurately on the petition. It probably will not impact, it will not impact your divorce at all if you're filing, but I just want to take a look at it to make sure that I can fully inform you of what that looks like. Okay. Then... I see that you checked yes for number 28 and 29, which are kind of co-parts. They're asking about co-signing on loans. Have you co-signed? What loans have you co-signed on? There were a few, um, a few credit cards that my husband and I had together that we both signed. So I was a co-signer. Okay. Do those have any balances on them? No, they, they don't. Is there any other thing that you co-signed besides the credit cards? Oh yeah. Or the mortgage. Okay, so you're both on the mortgage. Yes. Is that mortgage in the house on the house where you live now? Yes. Okay. So I'll make a note about that and we'll talk about that when we get okay. to talking about your mortgage in more detail. And then you've already told me that Canadian Express has filed a lawsuit against you and you yes. provided me with a copy. Are there any other lawsuits that have been filed against you? Not yet. I just get tons of phone calls. And then you've checked yes for have you or your spouse owned a business or worked for yourself anytime within the last six years? So I actually have like a little like side job. I sell jewelry on Etsy. So it's, it's more of a for fun thing, but I do get a little bit of income from that. Is that registered with the secretary of state or anything? No, it's not. Okay. So this is just something where you're making jewelry out of your house and selling on Etsy and yeah, it just kind of like a hobby, something I just kind of got into after the divorce. Okay. All right. We'll talk about that again okay. later. And then you've already answered your question about having visitation rights with your son. Mm -hmm. And then you also checked yes to signing some executory contracts. My guess is that would be your cell phone and maybe a gym membership. Yeah. What exactly is, what is, can you explain what that is exactly? Yeah. So an executory contract is a contract that you 
pay as you go, but also that you've committed to continue paying and the other side has committed to continue has committed to give you services in the future. Which okay. means that say it's a cell phone contract, what you say is that if I'm going to pay you for 2 years and if I stop paying you before that 2 years is over, there's a penalty that I'll face. Okay. That's different from say a month to month contract where you can cancel it at any time. Yeah, I do. I do have my cell phone and a gym membership. I mean, that doesn't include anything like Amazon memberships, anything like that. No, unless if you were to cancel, you get a cancellation fee. And I don't think that that falls under Amazon. So one of the options of bankruptcy, and you don't have to do this, but it's something you can consider, is that bankruptcy will allow you to get out of those contracts without having to pay those penalties. So if when we look at your budget later on, you say, you know what? I think instead of the gym membership that I have that's $100 a month, I want to try doing a gym membership that's $10 a month because I could really use that $90 and I just got that new road bike. Then we can do that through the Chapter 7 or Chapter 13 bankruptcy and help you free up a little bit more money. So that's an option for you. You don't have to decide now. Just It's part of the package of bankruptcy. And then you own your home right now and you want to stay in your home, but you're not behind on any of your payments. No, I mean, I was late a couple times, paid a couple late fees, but it's it's current right now. Okay. And I'd like to stay in that. I'm kind of worried about that. About your home? So yeah. let's go there next. So if you, okay. let's talk about your home. You own it right now. Yes. And how much do you pay per month? About 1400 okay. altogether. 1400 a month. And so that includes your taxes and insurance? Yes. Okay. Who's the mortgage lender on that one? It's through Bank of Charlotte. Okay. When did you buy that home? It was 2018, I think February, 2018. Okay. So that you bought it right around the time that you separated? Yes. But before you separated? It was before. Yeah. All right. And your husband's a co-signer on that loan. Does he also own the house with you? Yes, he does. Okay. Okay. So we'll talk about how if you file and you live in the home, you own the home, how that might impact your husband. This is another reason I'd like to see that consent order for the divorce. Were you ordered or did you agree that you would refinance the house as part of the divorce? We haven't discussed that, no. Okay, so that that wasn't contemplated and your divorce is no. final. Yes, the divorce is final and we didn't we didn't talk about that prior. All right. So you didn't talk about refinancing the house. Is there something in there that says he's supposed to sign a quit claim deed to give the house to you, his portion? Yes, I think there is something like that in there. So I'll take a look at that and then we can discuss that after I reviewed that document. Okay. So right now you are both obligated to pay that mortgage. So you're both obligated to Bank of Charlotte to pay that $1,400 a month. But my guess is that you're the only person paying it. Yes. Okay. And how much do you owe on that house still? I think it's around 200000 Okay. And do you know about what your interest rate is? I think it's 4%. Okay. All right. And you're, you're current. If you didn't have to pay any of your other debts on your income. Could you afford to make that house payment? Yeah, I could. Okay. So I'll tell you how a house generally works in bankruptcy. In a chapter seven bankruptcy and also in a chapter 13, you can keep your house as long as you can afford to pay for it. A chapter seven offers you a really big benefit because when you file, there's a possibility that you could have your personal obligation to pay the house go away. Now that doesn't mean you get a free house, which is what everybody might hear that as being, but I'm going to talk to you about a little bit of Latin, only one so you know that I know what I'm talking about, or at least you think I do. And then also just to explain how debts work. So you have two types of debt. One type of debt that you have is called in rem debt, which means it's debt in the thing. Whenever you have an in rem debt, that's a secured debt. So on your house, you have an in rem debt, which means if you don't pay for your house, they're going to come take your house. That's a foreclosure. Right now, you're not at risk of foreclosure because you're paying as you're supposed to. The other type of debt that you have is called in personam debt. That means debt in the person. So that's your personal obligation to pay the debt. What that means is if you don't pay the debt, they're going to try to come collect it from you. That's what Canadian Express is doing right now, is they are trying to collect a debt from you by filing a lawsuit because you haven't filed, you haven't been able to pay that debt. Certain debts that have both in personam and in rem debt on it, like your mortgage, means that if you don't pay, they're going to report on your credit card. It also means that are in your credit report. It also means that they're probably going to sue you. It also means that they're going to try to foreclose on the house, take the house and sell it. So when you file a chapter seven, what happens is all of your in personam debt disappears with a few exceptions. 
which means that when you file the chapter seven, we can get rid of your personal obligation to pay the, the mortgage. What then happens is as long as you want to stay in the house, you keep paying for it. When the house is paid off, you own the house. You own the house still. You will own the house the entire time. The big benefit of this kind of confusing situation is that if you're living kind of close to the line and sometimes you're late, when you're late, they report that on your credit report and that's painful. So what happens is if you get rid of the in personam part of the debt, your personal obligation to pay, if you're ever late in the future, they can't report that on your credit report, that you were late on your payment. And so you get some relief there. So they couldn't see that I filed bankruptcy and then say, oh, she's a she's a high risk for not paying the mortgage. It doesn't work that way. No, okay. they don't they don't have a choice in the matter. So okay. bankruptcies set by federal law and you already have a contract, but the bank and this is where it gets kind of confusing. The bank has a contract with you, but the bank through the, the lien that's on the house has a contract with the house, which is like a weird thing to consider, but the law does that sometimes. So they, they couldn't come and take the house just because you filed. They also couldn't come and take the house so long as you made your payments on behalf of essentially the house on time per the contract. One of the things that this can be really beneficial for that I don't know that it will impact you that much, but it could if the market tanks, like it did back in 2009, and you find that your house is now worth $120,000, you owe, owe $200,000 at that time, you might decide, you know what I want to do is I don't want to live in this house anymore. I got a new job somewhere else. I'm making more money. I can't sell this house for what I owe on it. I'm actually just going to give it back to the bank. When you do that, the bank can't sue you for any money that you haven't paid. The bank can't report that on your credit report. And because of those benefits in North Carolina, that's how everybody treats their house is they say, I don't, I don't want to have to pay this anymore. So you get a few benefits in a chapter seven that you otherwise would never get from say a debt consolidation or something like that. That may be long down the road. You're probably not considering that the market's going to tank. Oh, not. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever does. But one of the things that I do as an attorney is I help you figure out and plan for what the worst case scenario is. So in the worst case scenario, if you were to file bankruptcy and include the house in it, then you have some protection in the future should you decide that you don't want to live there and it's not worth selling. So that's just an option. Keep that in your, in your okay. mind. So the answer, the, the brief answer is your house is fine. If you can afford to pay for it, you can keep it. Bank won't take it. You'll be fine. Then I see that you've noted that you've got a 2018... Jeep Grand Cherokee as a car? Yes, I do. Is that your only car? It is. All right. And on that car, how much do you owe about? I think it's a little over 30000 maybe maybe thirty two. Okay. Do you know what your interest rate is? It's high. It's, uh, it's like 12%. Oh, oh yeah. dear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so then what's your payment on that? Around seven ten a month. Okay. So about $710 a month. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> do you want to keep that car? Kind of. Yes. I, I would like to keep it. I mean, I, I do worry. I have, I have my son. It's a good, safe car. I mean, I don't have to keep it, but I, I need a good, reliable car. Okay. Well, and it's new, so it yeah. is, it's in good condition. It's it is. A, it, okay. So it meets those needs. That interest rate is really high. Yeah, it is. Uh, and so is that payment. And mm -hmm. I, you know, looking at the form that you filled out with your budget, I can see that that's having a pretty big impact on it. So we'll talk about some options with your car when okay. we discuss the, the bankruptcy options. I also see that you have another secured debt. So that's, you know, a debt where if you don't pay, again, they're going to come collect the thing. What kind of secured debt is that? So after the separation, I had to get some furniture. So I went to rooms to go and I purchased some new living room furniture and a new bed set too. Okay. Did you get one of those zero interest deals? I did. Yeah. Okay. About how much do you owe on that? I think the balance is around a little over 2000. Okay. And so what's your monthly payment? $62. Okay. All right. And then your total debt, about how much credit card debt do you have? Um, I would say about 15000 altogether. Okay. Do you have any tax debt? I do. I didn't file one of my taxes for, for 2018. I think I owe like 2000 Okay. Have those been filed now? Yes, they have been. Okay. And then how about student loan debt? Yes, of course I have student loans. About $60,000. For how about child support? Do you owe any child support? No, I don't. Do you have any medical debt? I do not. Okay. 
okay, so now that I know about your debt, we want to make sure that we're protecting all the things that you're worried about. Is there anything that you are particularly worried about losing anything that has a high value to it? Yeah, kind of. It's kind of funny, but my my grandmother, she had a collection of these Hummel figurines, these really, you know, cute things. And I, I don't know how much they're worth, but she always talked about them. They're very special to her and said they were always like worth some money. So I'm kind of, you know, it's sentimental value. I want to make sure I can keep those. But I do think they're, you know, she always said they were worth something. Yeah. I'm familiar with Hummel figurines. Oh, okay. My grandmother also <laughs> collected them and talked about how they were valuable. After our grandparents' generation, they kind of went down a little bit in oh, value. Okay. They always have sentimental value, but mm-hmm. I don't know what the financial value would be. That's something that I would want to look into before we file. Okay. In prior cases where I've had to look up Hummel figurines, they're usually about $50 a piece. So oh, do you okay. have 10,000 of them? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. I think we will probably be fine, but okay. that's something we'll take a look at. Good. Yeah, I was, I was worried about that. So then let's talk about your income. Okay. Who do you work for? I work for Boxed Energy. Okay. And what income do you get there? My salary is 60000 a year. Okay. So you make $60,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And so what do you take home every, every two weeks or every month about? So I get paid bi-weekly and I think my checks are right around the seventeen fifty mark. Okay. So then you're taking home about $3,700 a month total. Yes. If I do my math right. Okay. And then you did say that you you own a business because you've got the Etsy business, but that's not really something that you've got a business plan or that's registered with the Secretary of State. No, it's just something I do for fun and can make a little bit of money. Okay. <laughs> about how much money do you make? Probably, I think the last time I kind of looked at it, about about $3,600 a year. Okay. $3,600 yeah. a year? All right. So in, in looking in that business, do you have a lot of inventory at home? How does that work? No, not really. I just kind of... I just kind of make with the inventory that I have, or if I have a particularly big order come through, I'll just, I'll go and purchase as needed. Okay. So based on the inventory that you have right now, if you had to go sell the inventory as is without producing any jewelry or anything from it, how much money do you think you'd get? I don't know. Probably maybe like a hundred bucks. Okay. All right. That's great. So your business is almost negligible as far as the bankruptcy is concerned. Good. Your business won't be impacted by it unless you had a client list that you could possibly sell, but that's probably not existent with Etsy. So I think you're fine. Okay. So then I want to take a look at the expenses that you provided. You provided us a form with your expenses. I've taken a look at them and looking at it, I don't see anything that's out of out of the ordinary. You've got typical expenses for your mortgage, your utilities, your food, childcare, and I'm guessing that's daycare or somebody to help you homeschool. Yes. Okay. And then you've got, you know, the regular things for laundry and dry cleaning. There's nothing that shocks me except for this car payment of $712. Just knowing what kind of your budget is, that sticks out to me. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a high payment. I went ahead and calculated it. And based on what you said that your income is with your expenses, you're on a really tight budget because if Mm -hmm. we add up all of your expenses, it looks like you're spending about $4,450 a month. And between your job and the income that you get from Etsy and then the child support that you disclosed, which you had said was $450 a month on one of these forms, you're making about $45.50 a month. And so you've only got maybe $100 left over. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. And that's why it's so hard to pay on that credit card debt. Yeah. Okay. I just can't seem to get ahead of it. (laughs) And well, and it would be almost impossible to get ahead of it if you've got $15,000 of credit card debt mm-hmm. and you've only got $100 a month to put towards it. So let's talk about what options that we can offer to you. You have a packet in front of you. We can flip past the, the front page because that just tells you what's in the packet for when you go home. The first thing that I want you to take a look at is what are called the 342B notices. I'm required to give that to everybody I talk to about bankruptcy. They tell you what types of bankruptcy are available. They tell you what you're entitled to. They tell you you can file by yourself if you want to, and you're particularly intrepid, and that's something that's interesting to you. They tell you about a petition preparer, which is somebody who literally types on a form for you. I'm required to share those with you, so here they are. The next part in this is a list of documents that I'll need to prepare your case. So we'll talk about what it means to prepare your case, but this goes through everything and tells you kind of what your homework is going to be. Okay. 
The next thing that we have is a list of do's and don'ts. If you determine that you want to file, put this on your fridge. It's got my contact information on it. It's kind of got some, you know, tell me if you're going to purchase another road bike. That sort of thing is on there. The next thing that we have is an authorization for us to pull your credit report. So I want to make sure that we notify all of your creditors that you filed. One way that we do that is we pull your credit report so we can get creditors that you might not even remember that you had. And hopefully that would stop the phone calls. The credit report doesn't stop it, but the next thing does. So as soon as you retain us, what we do is we send out a letter of representation to all of your creditors saying, we represent Sarah now. So don't contact Sarah. She is our client. What that means is that they're supposed to contact us instead of you. If anybody does call you, what I want you to do is pick up the phone and tell them, please don't contact me. I am represented by Marcelino and Tyson. Contact my attorney's office. Here's their number. We have on the next page a little bitty script for you to have that on. Okay. The next thing behind that is a form that you can use to fill out every single creditor who does call you. I want you to fill those out diligently because every time a creditor calls you after you're represented by an attorney, they're in violation of a number of laws and rules. Those calls could be worth about $4,000 a piece. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So make <laughs> sure that you write them all down and see it as kind of writing a check to yourself. I can't tell you how many clients don't do that because the calls are overwhelming and they set up some sort of routing so the call goes somewhere else or they just ignore yeah. it. I understand. But I also know how good it can feel sometimes to hold the creditors to the fire and get compensation for the harassment that they Yeah, I've got a spam blocker on my phone, so a lot of them just automatically get blocked. So what I think you should do is release that spam blocker for a little bit or delete all of the saved numbers that are blocked. Answer the first call and say, don't call me anymore. Then you can put that number back on the spam blocker. So you're still not getting those calls, but you have a log kept of every time they call. That's sufficient. If they call you, that's not permitted. Okay. You don't have to answer each time. Good to know. The last thing that is in this packet is outline of how the process of filing bankruptcy works here at Marcelino and Tyson. And so I'm going to use this to help you understand your options for bankruptcy. So right now we're at the very top. We're at our initial consultation. So here we are talking about bankruptcy. When you leave... I'm going to send you an email that says, it was nice to talk to you. Here's what we discussed. Here's what I recommend. Let me know if you have any questions. The next step is that you're going to decide that bankruptcy is what you want to do. If that's the case, you're going to continue working with our office. At that point, what you need to do is sign our contract that I'll send you home with and then pay us a $350 retainer fee. Until you do both of those steps, we don't represent you. So both of those things are critical. Once that's done, it comes to us again. We'll send out a letter confirming that we represent you, and we'll send that letter to all of your creditors saying we represent you. And that's just with paying the 350 fee? That's just with paying the 350 fee. So you get that relief very quickly from those phone calls. I also do that because I'm probably going to advise you at that point in time, after looking at your credit report, to stop paying all of your credit cards. Because one question that everybody has is, how am I going to pay you if I don't have any money? That's what I was just thinking. (laughs) So that first $350, I don't have a easy solution for you unless you know if I stop paying my credit cards for one month, I'll have $350 to give you. I can't suggest that you stop paying your credit cards for years to come up with $350. It's not going to help you. But if you are going to get us that retainer so we can send out that letter, do so. And then once we do that, it stops all those calls. You start keeping track of that list. Maybe you've got some lawsuits there. Hopefully nobody harasses you. That would be the best outcome. So would that help with the Canadian Express? It would stop them from contacting you directly. It would probably stall in the courts. Even by paying that $350, though, we do not represent you in that lawsuit. You're not hiring us to represent you in that lawsuit. So it won't necessarily stop them from pursuing that lawsuit at all because we only represent you in the matter of the bankruptcy, which our letter is very clear on that. So you would still need to pursue that. I'll talk to you about how we can stop that, but it would pretty much involve you having to file before that case really went anywhere. And I'm going to recommend that you do so because in North Carolina, if they get a judgment, that becomes a lien on your house. And if it's a lien on your house, it's a little bit harder to get rid of and more expensive through the bankruptcy process. So you've got a little bit of a deadline, which is, it's fine. We'll just have to figure out how to, how to adjust to that. Your next step after we say we represent you, it's back in your court for your homework time. 
that's when you need to get us all the documents. That first page that we talked about that had all of the documents listed, you go through that. It's a checklist. Get us all those documents. You can email them to us. You can mail them to us. You can bring them by. I've had people take pictures of the documents and send them. I just need the documents. Okay. Then we have an online questionnaire that we'll need you to answer. It's through a program called My Case Info. You'll get a link along with our, our welcome email that you've hired us. You are going to go through and figure that out. It has multiple stages throughout it, and you can pause and stop and go. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your home computer. It's very simple. Get that done. It'll take you probably about three or four hours total. Then you need to make sure that you pay us the rest of the balance due. So once all three of those things are done, then we're ready to go to the next step, which is to get your case ready to file. So hopefully in your case, I would say that if you have this lawsuit, you've got, you're supposed to file an answer within 30 days. If you don't file an answer, they're going to move to try to get a judgment. So I would say that you, to be safe, you probably want to file within the next 30 to 45 days to try to prevent that lawsuit. If you get any more paperwork whatsoever, let us know immediately because my answer might alter based on what paperwork you get. So you're kind of under a little bit of a deadline there. After you get all of that done, we complete the draft of your petition. The petition is about 100 pages long. Don't be intimidated by that because we're, we're the one drafting it. It's got a whole lot of white space on it because that's supposed to make it easier based on what the government says. I will put notes on there that say, hey, I'm not really sure you mentioned that you've got a road bike, but I don't see that listed anywhere on your assets or something like that. So I'll put those notes there. You review those, answer my questions as you review the petition. And you send me an email back and say, I've done it. So what, so what do I really consider an asset? Is there a certain value? No. So, and that's on part of the My Case Info questionnaire that you're going to complete has a, a description of the asset. So it'll say, you know, tell us what your, your cars are. We've already talked about that. But on the more small things, it'll say, tell us what your furniture is. I want you to list things so that if somebody were to, not that anybody's going to, I've never had this happen. If somebody were to walk through your house, they wouldn't be surprised by anything. So if you were to not list that you have a couch and then somehow somebody walks in your house, they would be surprised to see a couch that you forgot to list that. You don't need to list that you have a toothbrush. Everybody's going to expect that you have a toothbrush. So that kind of gives you a good dividing line of where to list things and where not to. I'm looking at it too. So when you fill this out, I'm looking at it to make sure that things are listed. So in the case that I look at it and I'm like, wait a second, you didn't list any clothes, which is more common than you would think. Clearly you're wearing clothes, you have clothes. You can just say women's clothing worth a grand total of $500. It'll also instruct you on how to price it. So generally you give the price of what you could sell it for at a yard sale. So that's okay. not... A huge amount, yeah. even if you really like your clothes, yard sale prices are pretty low. Yeah. So list everything. List dining room table, bed. List all it all. Stuff. I can delete stuff if needed. Okay. But if you don't list something, I'm not necessarily going to know that you have it. So over disclose and then allow. Part of my job is to make sure that we're making sure everything's completed properly. Okay. After you've answered all those questions, then we schedule an appointment for you to come in to file. So at that time, you'll meet with me in my office. We will review the petition together. So we will go through it and make sure everything's accurate and that you approve of everything. Once I know that you do, I literally push a button from my computer and your case is filed with the federal court. So we don't have to go into court. Wow. You will probably never see the inside of a courtroom in this case, probably. I will probably never see the inside of a courtroom in your case because everything can be done remotely and doesn't usually require a court appearance. So in your case... We'd push that button. You'd have a case number. What that means is now, if anybody does call you, you say, not only do I have an attorney, I've also filed bankruptcy. Here's my case number. At that point, all of those calls that were worth about $4,000 become worth a little bit more. So keep track of those again. So after we've pushed that button, your case is filed, you've got that case number. This is where the case becomes different from a chapter 13 and a chapter 7. So everything that we've just talked about is the same no matter what type of bankruptcy you file. If it's in a Chapter 13, within 30 days after I push that button, you have to make your first plan payment. I know adding another payment sounds kind of scary. I'll talk to you about what a payment means and what a Chapter 13 means. I'm going to go through and first we'll talk about a Chapter 7 and how that process works. And then we'll look at a Chapter 13. In your case, I'll just go ahead and tell you I'm leading towards you needing to file a Chapter 7. So I'll be a little bit more in depth on that one. 
we'll talk about a chapter 13 because I think you might be eligible for chapter 13. I think it could make sense in certain circumstances, but I don't think it's going to be the best for you. But I want to tell you about both. So once you file, about a month later, we'll go to a 341 meeting. That meeting is not in the courthouse. It is not a hearing. It is a meeting. You and I go and we meet with a trustee. The trustee is somebody that I consider like a referee of the bankruptcy. The trustee is trying to make sure that you've been honest with the creditors and also is telling the creditors, look, I've reviewed it. She doesn't have anything. You can't come get her. And so the trustee's not your friend, but he's not your enemy either. He's a neutral. So we'll go meet with him. I will talk to you before you go to meet with the trustee. I've been to hundreds of 341 meetings. I will walk you through it. You shouldn't be worried. Even though I say this, and I will tell you this multiple times, 100% of my clients are worried before they go. All people are worried before they go because for most people, it's just a scary thing. But I'm telling you now, you don't need to worry. I'll be there with you. At that 341 meeting, the trustee will have already reviewed your petition and might ask you a couple questions. He might say, I see you purchased a Trek road bike. Do you still have that? Yes. This is still worth $400. You will know, say, well, I got it used. So probably about that. The trustee will move on. It's not, it's really not a huge deal. You don't have to think you're losing your bike at that point. After that 341 meeting, all you have to do is wait. That's what you're going to do. You're going to wait. You're going to feel better because you've had that meeting, but then you're going to say, well, now what? And the answer is just wait. The trustee, his next step is to say, well, I've looked at everything and you can't get blood from a turnip. Sarah doesn't have anything. So the trustee will send a letter to all of your creditors saying, dear creditor, Sarah doesn't have anything. You're not going to get paid anything. Sorry. Love trustee. That's it. Once you get that, you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. You can trust that the trustee is not going to come and try to take your bike, not going to take your, your bank account. I'm telling you right now, based on what I see that you have, if you've told me everything clearly, I think all of your stuff is perfectly safe. But the trustee has to make that determination too. The next step after the trustee issues that report of no distribution is that you get a discharge of all of your debt. So the trustee's already told the creditors you're not getting anything, but then we get a court order from the federal court judge, the bankruptcy court judge, saying that all of your debt is discharged. You don't owe any more debt. That happens no sooner than 60 days after that 341 meeting. So there's a law that says you have to wait at least 60 days. So we've had that 341 meeting, you wait two months, then he sends out that letter saying no distribution, and the court says case discharged. Once that is done, here at Marshall and Tyson, we close your case. At that point, I send you out another packet that says, congratulations, you're debt-free, yay. Here's what you should do to help rebuild your credit. So you've got a couple things already going for you. One is that you've got a car. So as long as you continue paying that car payment, that gets reported to your credit and your, your credit score can rebuild there. We also give you some instructions about getting secured credit cards and then maybe a store credit card to help rebuild that credit. We typically see that our clients have a credit score of about 700 within a year after discharge of their debt. And so it's not the end of your life. It's not the end of your credit. It's actually a really good way to start rebuilding. Whereas if you didn't file and maybe you went with a credit consolidation option, you're in pain for a little while. And we'll talk about that at the end a little bit more. But that's how our process works for Chapter 7. For Chapter 13... That one gets changed a little bit because remember I talked about that payment plan. Mm -hmm. In a chapter 13, you file that when either typically you're behind on your mortgage and you need to catch up, but you need some time to do it. You file that if you have a really high interest rate on your vehicle and you want to reduce it because in a chapter 13 bankruptcy, all vehicles are reduced to be paid at the till rate, which is currently 5.25%. So we could reduce that 12% interest rate that you have down to 5.25%. We also file a chapter 13 for people who have tax debt that they can't afford the payment plan they're making right now and they want to stretch it out for five years. There are other reasons to file a chapter 13, including if you make too much money to file a chapter seven, you don't make too much money to file a chapter seven. So based on those things, a chapter 13 is an option because it might help with your car. But I don't know that it's the best option. I'm just going to give you a brief rundown of how it works just because I'm required to by law. And so, you know. Okay. So once you file and you start making that plan payment, you make that first plan payment within 30 days. 
when you make that plan payment, that plan payment is calculated by our office before you file. You know what that plan payment is going to be. It's not a surprise. So it's not like all of a sudden you're hit with a $50,000 bill you didn't know. In your case, I've already taken a look at what your plan payment would be, and I've estimated that to be about $2,250 per month. Now, while that sounds like a lot of money, that would include your mortgage payment, that would include your car payment, and that would include your tax debt. So you wouldn't be paying those on top of it. You'd be paying the plan payment instead of paying those. Now, I did go ahead and calculate it. And when I did, from your monthly expenses, you would pay $2,250 instead to the trustee. And that would save you about $2,200 out of your budget. For that reason, I don't think a Chapter 13 is actually going to alleviate any of your stress because you're actually going to be putting more money out per month. That's why I don't think it's the best idea for you, but it is an option. Okay. You still go to that 341 meeting, except the 341 meeting in this case would be in our office and you do it by video conference with the trustee. Your trustee would be Warren Tedlock. He's wonderful. He's been a trustee since before I was born. He is absolutely fantastic. He will go through the plan and review it and let you know He's primarily talking to me. He'll let me know if I've miscalculated something or if he disagrees with me. I don't usually have surprises in these cases. He also is still trying to make sure that you're, you've been honest on your petition. So there has been an occasion where a client owns a piece of property and they don't tell me about it. The trustee tells me about it at that 341 meeting. Please don't let me be surprised at that 341 meeting. Please. Makes it really awkward for me. Once we get that plan confirmed, which happens at the 341 meeting or shortly thereafter, the trustee says, yep, confirm the plan. You're going to pay $2,200. You're going to pay that for five years. And when you make all those payments at the end of that time, you would own your car in full. You wouldn't have any tax debt. You would be five years down the road and paying on your mortgage and all of your other debt would be discharged. In your case, I can get you essentially to that situation a little bit faster by not having you file chapter 13. So that's how the bankruptcies work. Do you have any questions about the process? I don't think about the process. I am obviously worried about, you know, my credit score and how fast can I rebuild my credit again? Am I going to ever be able to get another car one day? Is bankruptcy just something that just sticks out on my credit report for, what, seven to 10 years? Well, and so it depends. A chapter 13 is reported on your credit report for seven years. A chapter seven is reported for 10 years. They it's backwards in the number of years. A lot of people see bankruptcy as a four-letter word. They don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. gives them anxiety. The fact that you're here already shows that you've probably been through a lot of stress just to get to this office. Mm -hmm. I understand that, and I commend you for being here. What I'll tell you is in, in our experience, our clients typically recover their credit scores pretty quickly. They end up with a credit score of around 700 within a year after they get their discharge in a Chapter 7. I don't know what your credit score is now, but based on the debt that you have and the fact that you've been served with a lawsuit, that would probably be an improvement on your credit score. There are some people who, after they file, if you've got a good credit score, because some people have been current on all of their debts, but they have to file because they can't maintain that, they're going to see their credit score drop. So wherever your credit is right after you file, and I have so many clients who go and they pull their credit report the day after they get their discharge, and they're devastated because their credit score is 580 or something like that. What you have to have faith in is that it's going to recover if you take the right steps. I have had clients who say, I'm never having another credit card again, never borrowing any more money, I'm going to pay for everything in cash. If they do that, their credit score never recovers because they never rebuild a history showing that they are, quote, credit worthy, that they will repay a debt. So if, you, if that is a concern of yours, you care about your credit score, then you need to follow some steps, which would include paying on your car. That will help report it. Your house, we've already talked about, that might not be reported, particularly if you don't pay, but there is a workaround that we can have. So if you're making payments like you want to and like you should, where you can get the credit report to report that, and we provide you with that information. We also recommend some steps that you take on getting credit cards. So the first one is generally an unsecured credit cards. There are some companies right now that offer you to borrow money from yourself, which allows you to help rebuild your credit because they'll report for you. After that, then you move to, say, a store credit card. And then after that, you move to, say, Discover card. And so we've had enough clients and enough experience to kind of know the steps that you can take to rebuild. If you take those steps, 
I'm confident that you will see an improvement in your credit score. I can't guarantee what it'll be. I can only tell you what we've usually seen. Bankruptcy hits your credit all at one time. It does a certain amount of damage. I don't know exactly what the negative amount is according to the credit bureaus because their formulas are proprietary. But let's say if the maximum credit score you can have is 850, you file a bankruptcy and it says minus 300 points on your credit score. Bam, that's all it is. So then your credit score is down at 550. Okay, that's where we are. We start rebuilding from them. We just start putting stuff on top of it to improve that credit score. As you go forward and as that ages, it has a lesser effect. So a credit reporting bureau says, the day you file, minus 300. The day after you file, minus 299. Two days after you file, minus 298. So every day that impact is a little bit less. The difference between that and doing something like a credit consolidation or some sort of credit repair program where somebody negotiates your debts and you pay a little bit less is that every single one of those credit cards that you negotiate a lesser debt on is a hit to your credit score. And it says minus whatever it is. Those things will be reported until that credit card is completely paid off and then for another three years. So that's going to extend that pain because we've already talked about the kind of where you are with your ability to pay off that debt. I did take a look at it, and if you could consolidate all of your debt at 0% interest where, where you have it now, it would still take you over 13 years to pay it off. So we're far past the time where a bankruptcy would have an impact on your credit score. So then you think filing the bankruptcy is actually much more beneficial for me? I think your credit score will improve much faster if you file a bankruptcy than if you try to negotiate it. I also think that you'll get immediate relief from your creditors and that will allow you to have less stress, that will allow you to put more time and in, in investment into your son, that will allow you to probably work better. Maybe you can put more focus on, on your Etsy business and grow that, or maybe you can free it up to just do better at your job or just enjoy your life more. My recommendation with everything that I know about you today is that you file a Chapter 7. Yeah, I think it would be a lot less stressful, but I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, I feel really, really guilty. I mean, the, the debt is you know, self-inflicted. And I, I feel like I almost have a responsibility of like, I should pay it back. That's very normal. And I struggle with this because all of my clients feel this way because I think we all hearken back to the time of you owe the corner store guy credit and he's going to suffer if you don't pay. We're not there now. That's not where you are. Where you are is that you've entered into contractual obligations with lots of companies to pay debt. When you do that, they say, okay, we're going to pull your credit report, we're going to assess how credit worthy you are, and we're going to charge you interest. What that interest is, is their insurance, where they're saying, we think you're this likely not to pay us. So you've been paying that interest all along. And I'm guessing right now on your Canadian Express card, they've actually accelerated that interest to 29%, which is the amount where the law says you can't really charge anymore. <laughs> so they are charging you a hefty amount of interest. And you've probably been paying that for a long time, probably since you separated without actually beating down on that principle anymore. I don't know how much you've paid them, but you've paid them a significant amount of money and you haven't made a dent in it and the debt that you owe. What I like to see that in where you're paying all that interest is that you're paying what I call default insurance. You're saying, here's the likelihood I'm going to default. They've calculated it with a whole bunch of accountants and lawyers saying this is how likely it is. So they will still make money even if you default. So you're saying, you know what? It's like I got in a car accident and I need to call my insurance company. Sometimes the insurance company loses, sometimes it wins. In this case, the insurance company is going to take a loss. The bank is going to take a loss, but you're going to get that relief that you need. Bankruptcy is, it's an old, old law. It comes, it's based in the Old Testament. They had Jubilee every seven years. Everybody got relief from their debt. We, as the United States, put that in our constitution when the constitution was written. And then we've codified it into laws that have been rewritten and rewritten because society has recognized that it's a good for you to be able to have that relief so you can take care of yourself. Hopefully you can save for retirement because I notice you don't have a retirement plan. And what that does is it allows you to be more self-sufficient and less likely to depend on others later on. And so bankruptcy is a really good thing. And I think not only is it moral because it's got a biblical basis, it's got a constitutional basis, it's ethical, it's legal. So I know that you feel guilty and I'll tell you that I have lots of clients who struggle and they'll struggle with guilt 
usually until the minute the case is filed. And then what happens is as soon as that push that, that button, that weight lifts off your shoulders. You're no longer laying awake at night doing creative accounting in your head on how am I going to you know, borrow from here to pay here. And then I've never had a client tell me a year later after they filed, man, I still feel really guilty. And what I will tell clients is, look, if you file and a year later you still feel really guilty, you are always welcome to send Canadian Express a check. You can send them a check anytime you want. So they just can't collect from you. So I don't think that you should feel guilty. I think this is something legal. I think this is something you should look into pursuing and consider. And I'm here to support you regardless of what you decide. But my recommendation with you sitting across from me today is that you consider and that you actually do file a Chapter 7 and that you try to do so before you have that lawsuit go any further with Canadian Express. All right. So do you have any questions for me? No, I, I think you've, you've given me a lot of information here. So it's a lot to, lot to go home and think about. Okay. Well, if you have any questions, and a lot of people think of all the questions they have as soon as their tires hit the road when they leave, you've got our contact information. Send us an email. I'm happy to help you. Take a look at the packet, review it, and then let us know what you want to do. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Protect What's Yours. For more information on our firm and our practice areas, visit us at yourncattorney.com and we'll have one of our experienced team members reach out to you and help guide you through your upcoming legal process. That's yourncattorney.com. The insights and views presented in Protect What's Yours are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready to protect what's yours, contact Marcelino and Tyson today.